0: So, uh, for those that don't know me, my name's Rob. It is a great privilege to be able to stand before you today and share the Word with you. And we are carrying on with a series that we started last week called Starting Over. And um, we, uh, it really is, is um, tonight is about recognizing our regrets. And uh, the, the Bible is speaking in Hebrews chapter 12 about... Um, about things that come into our lives that can end up entangling us and hindering us in our move forward. And so I'm to read that scripture. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I hope you see that there's two different things. the things that hinder and the sin that entangles. Um, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And... Uh, this series started last week when um, when Matt kicked off the preach, and he spoke about the different things in our past that can hinder us and entangle us as we go forward. And he spoke about these things, and we use the term regrets—things that we regret um, having happened to us, which are regrets of reaction. Somebody, you know, cheated you or betrayed you or hurt you or violated you or something like that, and, and you you have a obvious reaction to what was done in your life, and and I suppose to use a colloquial kind of thing, we wish that it never happened to us. Then there are the regrets of inaction, decisions that we didn't make or choices we made not to do something, and, uh, and we, we actually regret not having having done it. Hopefully it's not um, proposing to the person you knew you should have been married to, and if that was your regret, don't tell your now wife. And, um, and then there's the regrets of, of action, the things that we do that we shouldn't have done. We wish after we've done it, we kind of wish, oh my goodness, why'd I do that? I wish there was a Control Z button for our lives so we can just undo function. Don't you find that? Sometimes I'm writing with my pen and I, I, don't go, I want that on. I just want to undo it now. We get so used to doing things digitally. And these are the, the, the regrets that are, that are part of our lives. The, they can be sins, sins of commission and omission. They can be non scenarios, like your decision, for example. You had, you had an opportunity to go study at university and get a degree, and you, and you made a decision not to because it was just going to be too hard. And 10 years later, 15, 20 years later, you, you you carry regret about not doing it. It wasn't a sin, but it is something that you do regret. And regret comes in all sorts of forms. I um, I don't know if you've heard of the film We Are the Millers, and uh, I haven't seen the film itself, but I've seen a clip from it, and I'm now going to have to go see the film. I'm, I'm saying that I haven't seen it because if there is anything dodgy in this movie i don't know about it i've only seen the cl- is there some dodgy stuff okay Alison's seen it three or four times and she says <laughs> anyway i'm not recommending the movie i'll just tell you about this clip there's this scene in the movie where this young man comes to um meet the miller's daughter he wants to take her on a date and he arrives at the door of the rv and swings the door open and there he is standing there with his cap on slightly skewed his hair coming out the back of his cap like this a vest on with a nice deep section in the front yeah, and, um, and a tattoo across his chest like this. And let's have a look at what his tattoo says. No regrets. I bet you he's regretting not having paid attention in spelling at school because obviously regrets isn't spelt like that, and there's a regret pointing. At, and uh, I have a 16-year-old daughter myself, and I just want to point out if that boy came to our door, to date my daughter. He'd be turning around and having lots of regrets as he made his way out of here. And uh, this, uh, I uh, actually found this video clip of uh, some of the worst tattoos I think I've ever seen in history, and uh, we're just going to play that, that clip now for you to see. <laughs> thing spells regret like r-a-g-r-e-t-s in permanent ink in your flesh does it it's like um and a, a little bit of a tip for you if you ever are going to get a tattoo and it's not my favorite thing to get on your body but if you are make sure you get the guy to sketch it out first and so know he actually can draw on paper before he starts drawing permanently on your skin and the truth is that tattoos aside not many of us have maybe you've got a really bad tattoo and if you do will don't you come show me after it's okay uh, I'll, I'll put you into my preach next week. But uh, there are, all of us have some things that we do regret in our lives. And uh, maybe, as I said earlier, it's something like failing to take the opportunity to get a college degree or um, or even go to college. It's um, getting into debt again, you know, a credit card we've just kind of got ourselves out of, we've maxed out again. Maybe we've broken a relationship in a moment of... Um, anger or something like that we 've pushed somebody away, and we find ourselves unable to restore the relationship again and uh, the, the, the problem with regrets is that we don't we can 't just have some laser surgery to remove them from our lives it 's not like we can just put a, a, a t shirt on and cover up whatever it is that um, that we 've done and the result is that we get caught in what Matt introduced us last week a, a sorry cycle there 's this longing to be set free of the regret and we are unable to break. Uh, free of it, and so it just goes around and around and around like this, and we get stuck in it. As psychologists have a term for us um, for when we when we do this, when we hang on to things like this, and it's called rumination. It's like a cow that's chewing the cud; you know, it takes it into its mouth and it just begins to chew like this, and it regurgitates and chews it again, and and that's what happens to us. Instead of this thing becoming a, something that's in our past, it continues to play on our on our minds, and we long to be set free from the regret but we never are. But there's good news. And the whole, the wonder of being able to preach and the fact that this is not a motivational, um, I'm not doing a motivational talk to you because I could give you some good ideas. The wonder of um, preaching is that we get to preach the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that what he's done, uh, what he accomplished upon the cross means that, that we can literally start over again. And no matter who you are, friends and no matter what you've done and it's so easy for us to be looking at somebody else and going i'm sure that's fine for john he god can forgive him and if you knew what he had done you would realize that if that he can be forgiven friends anybody can be forgiven but it is easier to look at somebody else and to think it it applies to them but it doesn't apply to me i'm I'm somehow not a, a part of this um good news that actually comes to us but actually it's for every single one of us and if we learn to deal with our regrets Instead of the regret becoming the finish line of our life, it can actually become the starting line for us in the season of our lives. And there's, it's a wonderful thing because of the gospel of Christ that we can actually be grateful to God for the things that we once regretted because of what He is able to accomplish when we hand it over to Him. There is, I love the fact, I think it was Dallas Willow that said, there's, there's, nothing, um, God, uh, there's nothing irredeemable when we put it in the hands of God no matter what your situation is, like, you think like this is a complete and utter mess and you're probably right and I've got no hope of of ever recovering from this and you're probably right except if you put it into the hands of God, He begins to redeem even the worst of our situations and make it uh, right again. And so over the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about three steps to starting over and I suppose I could give you them all tonight and then you could skip the next two weeks. But uh, the problem with it, is that we will not pay attention to each of those steps. And each one is really important for us to do properly. And uh, so today we're going to look at step one, which is what we, the choice we have around our regrets. And we can choose to hide our regrets. It's one of the things that, um, that uh, I suppose makes sense, actually. It, it's, it's a natural response. If I had the tattoo of that baby on my calf, for example, I would never wear shorts again. You know, if it, my beautiful little, <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, that would definitely be a case of laser therapy, having demon child tattooed onto your leg like that. I would wear long pants. I'd want to cover it up. And maybe there's things that you've done or things that have been done to you and the natural response has been, I'm going to wear long pants. I'm going I'm to cover that thing up. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to let anybody else know about it. I'm not going to think about it. Whenever it comes up, I'm going to push it down. I'm just not going to deal with it. And... Um, the thing is, though, even if it's covered up, it's not gone, and most of us know that. We've seen that in our own lives that it pops up. It's a little bit like this here, and uh, it's like taking—I don't know if you've ever had to the, um, the, the, spend an afternoon with a beach ball in the swimming pool or on the beach or something like that, and you you, you try and squeeze it under the water and you, you force it under like this, and then you let go of it. And I—I I did this with a proper beach ball this morning, and the, and as it popped out, it just sprayed like water everywhere, like this, something like this, here. Like, that. oh, there we go. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't want to be alone. Okay. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> I saw Matt mocking me there. And as the, as the balloon goes down, what happens is our regrets is we try and press them down like this and hide it. We, we try and hold it in, but it, it wants to come up all the time, and it forces way up. And we push it down, and it comes up again. And no matter how much we try, the ball doesn't want to stay under the water. I want to just say this is actually quite therapeutic. I think everyone should have a bucket of water with a, a balloon like this just 10 minutes a day. Or maybe we should, actually. We should have a little class. You come press down the balloon and realize that there are regrets that we need to let go of. And uh, that's what it's like when we try and hide our regrets. We push them down, but they come up again. And maybe you're trying to start something new in your life, and the regrets are, are hamstring you. They, they're not letting you get on with it. Maybe you're starting a new relationship, and because of something that went wrong in a relationship in the past, it's kind of like a ties. That scripture in Hebrews is so perfect. It's hindering you. It's entangling you, so that you can't move forward with it anymore. Or maybe you want to step into a business venture or or a, a new project, like maybe like Darren and Natasha stepping into this new season in life. There's a risk with it, and it requires a certain amount of courage and trust to be able to do it. And if they regrets that they haven't dealt with in their past, they even though they've prayed about it, and they have the peace of God. They've had counsel about it. They they just they won't take the risk because of the regrets that are holding them back. And regrets can be anything. It can be a bankruptcy that you've encountered in the past. It can be a divorce that you've been through. It can be something you said that has forever changed a relationship that you feel like you can't get back again. It can be driving under the influence of alcohol and getting caught or crashing your car or hurting someone. It can be a lost job and it can be a repeated pattern of sin. And so we we end up trying to hide it because that's our natural response. Uh, it's amazing when people are confronted by their sin, the most natural response, the most common response, Linda and I see whenever we're dealing with this in somebody's life is denial. They just, it never happened. Like like when, uh, when uh, uh, Saul committed that sin and Samuel confronted him, he goes, no, I have did everything. I did everything right. And he was supposed to kill all the, all the sheep and the cows and that as well. And, and, and Samuel says, but I can hear the cows making the noise. What are you saying you've done everything? And so we, we, we learn how to hide it like this and we deny that there's any problem. Everything's cool, yeah? Move along. There's nothing to see. Everything's fine. And we, we're having to hold this down. And we can't go anywhere because we we paralyzed by, by keeping this thing covered up. And we can't, we can't find freedom. We, we, we're exhausted. This thing keeps wanting to pop up and we keeping having to spend our energy pushing that regret down again. And God wants to set us free from that. And um, one of the classic examples of somebody with a i i I think a a, quite a profound regret was um a king by the name of david i mentioned him this evening as i quoted from the psalms david was um we're going to come to him in 2 samuel chapter 11 and by this stage he's established as the king of israel he's one of those like all-stars when he was growing up he could do everything he could he played instruments he was he was good looking he was a great soldier he um um, he was a, a husband, a son, a brother, all of those sorts of things. And he'd become the king of Israel. And his position as king had become established. And so he was powerful. He was looked up to. And he had a great amount of control. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, um, it says it was the season when kings go to war. So, um, <laughs> strange season to have, eh? It's time to go fight battles, people. Anyway, it was the season, apparently. It was the spring. That's when the kings go fight their battles. The world was a different place then. If you weren't um, taking ground, ground was being taken against you. And so there was this constant conflict. And, and David's responsibility as the king was to lead his people out in this battle, in the battles. And But David took a break. He decided he wasn't going to go. He established his army. And so he led, I think it was Joab that was leading his army, go into battle. And he stayed behind. And he was wandering around. You know what they say about idle hands? And he was wandering around his roof at that time. And he, he was kind of at the edge, and kind of looking down and seeing what's going on like this. And he, he saw Miss February on the roof next door. And Bathsheba, who uh, was, uh, sh- was, was bathing on a rooftop, I, I, I kind of have the scene set in my mind like this because I don't want to picture it too much. Is that she's actually got curtains up like this, like these lace curtains, and you can see the, the shape of her naked body through the lace curtains. And David should at that moment turn around instead. He just lingers a little bit longer. And then he begins to think about his position and his power, and how and the lust begins to overtake him. And he and he gets her brought across to his palace, and he sleeps with her, which is um, a euphemism for having sex with her. He obviously had sex with her, and um, and at that point David has done something that he ought to deeply regret because he has a conscience like the rest of us, and he was a man of God. And I'm convinced at that point, even when that happened, David had to take that regret and push it under the water like this and he's probably thinking to himself well I'm never going to do that again but I don't want to deal with it but I'm just not going to do it again and then as so often happens with the regrets it pops out and Bathsheba arrives at his house and uh, tells him that she's pregnant and the regret comes up and David now thinks to himself okay well what am I going to do and uh, will not you pass my regret back again please I I won't splash it again and uh, if anyone hasn't been baptized yet, this is a good time for that to happen. Okay? And David takes that regret, and instead of dealing with it, he presses it back under the water again, and he thinks, I've got a plan. And so we don't we often do this. Instead of dealing with the regret, we try and cover it up and make a way. We, 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 we rename it, or we come up with a, a different explanation or rationalize instead of just dealing with it. And so what he does is he says, I'm going to call the, the husband home. His name's Uriah. He's actually one of David's mighty men. It's like if they were a football club and David was the captain, this would be like, like I don't know, one of the guys on the team with him. Uriah would lay down his life for David and for, um, and for that kingdom. And David had slept with his wife. So he calls him back. He's got a conniving plan. I call him back as if I need to get a report from him. And then when he's back, he's got a hot wife. He's obviously going to have sex with her when he's back because he's been on the front lines for all this time. And so... Then when she finds out she's pregnant, he'll assume it was his own baby. And so he calls Uriah back, he says, Hey, great to have you, what's happening? Wada wada, wada tells him he says, Okay, go back, spend the night in your home, I'll speak to you tomorrow. But Uriah is a man of great integrity, and because the other guys, the soldiers on the front line, he's not gonna sleep with his wife while they can't, he's not gonna enjoy the comforts of his own home while they're out there. So he sleeps I think he sleeps in a barn or something like that, or a stables. The next day David finds out, so Uriah, how was how was last night? And how'd it go? And uh, he finds out that Uriah hasn't even been with his wife, and so he, he, now he's a, he um, fills him with a little bit of wine, and Uriah is so completely plastered. By the time he leaves the king's palace, he's like walking like this, and he's thinking, "Oh, well, he's definitely going to go to his wife now." And I think he spends the night sleeping on the step of his house rather than going in. And David realizes now that this regret is not going under; the, the, the pregnancy is popping up, and so he goes, "I'm going I'm I'm to press it down again," and he pushes it down. And he, he tells Joab that when they go into battle the next time, that he needs to put Uriah at the very front line with his troops, right, and come too close to the city that they're trying to take. And at the moment when they, the battle is at its fiercest, I want you to take the rest of the soldiers and draw them back and leave them exposed there. And that's exactly what happens. And Uriah dies. And, and the news comes to David that Uriah is dead. And, uh, and David is now an adulterer, a deceiver, and a murderer, burying his regrets down like this and he's thinking at least they're going to stay down but they don't they pop up again and god sends a prophet to david by the name of nathan and nathan's job is to cause the regret to come out to expose it and he tells david the story and we're going to read the story from uh 2 samuel um verse 12 i think um telling it not like this is a made-up story. He's telling it like this is something that genuinely happened. I'm sure all of you, well, not all of you, I'm sure some of you have a pet that you love. Does that any of you have a pet that you love? Now imagine your pet was the, the cutest little lamb you could ever imagine. And that's what the story he's telling about here. He comes to David and says, King David, I need to tell you about something that's happened in your kingdom. There were two men in a certain town. I'll, I'll bring up the town later. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a, a very large number of, of sheep and cattle. But this poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he brought. That he bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. It's a bit weird, but uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And David is furious. He's like, what? This guy's got all of this, and he takes the one little lamb that this guy has. He, he's, got, he's got hundreds of, of lambs that he can choose from. They mean nothing to him. And he takes this one lamb, and David, he, he, he declares his judgment. He's In his justice and righteousness, he says this, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And I wonder how long Nathan paused after hearing that answer before he pointed his finger at David and said, you are that man. And uh, the beach ball breaks to the surface. God had sent uh, Nathan to David so that this thing that he had hidden away and I don't know how long it was burst through to the surface now and David's confronted by his own adultery and by his own deception and by his murder. And David has a choice again. You see, he can hide it. He's, he was powerful enough to, put, to get Uriah shut up and put to death. He could easily take care of Nathan if he wanted to. He could go and stick it down again. And he faces, I, I, you know, in God's, God's kindness um, seems to know no ends. But he faces a choice at this point. Is he going to respond to the kindness of God in this confrontation? Or is he going to hide his regrets again? And uh, thank God he, uh, he responds in the way that God wants us to respond. He turns to Nathan and says, I have sinned against the Lord. And uh, Psalm 51 is just an incredible picture of David owning his sin. He says, he says, my sin is ever before me so that you are proved just when you judge me. And David's not, he, he writes that Psalm. I think it's unbelievable. It's like, this, I mean, yes, the king. He's not a, he comes to this point where he's no longer hiding his sin. He doesn't get a PR firm to come and cover the whole thing over and make sure his legacy looks good. He writes a psalm which pretty much lays out exactly the, the skanky sinner that he was and, uh, and how he almost lost everything but how God has been so gracious to forgive him. And, uh, and we've got to come to that same place with our regrets. And again, there might be areas of sin and there might be areas that are not sin. Everything that hinders and the sin that entangles, and uh, we're going to make the choice not to hide our sin. We're going to meet a, a guy now by the name of Greg, and um, Greg is going to, we're going to carry a story uh, again and again throughout the series, and Gary is the guy that chose, made a choice not to hide
1: his regrets anymore, so if you're ready, Morgan, you can play that for us. My Thanks. name is Greg, and this is my starting over story. So I grew up in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and I think what most people would call a pretty typical home. Uh, mom and a dad and one younger brother. Church was not a, a huge part of our life We did go on Sundays, but it was just the place where we had to wear bad socks and I didn't enjoy going the first time I uh, Remember being introduced to alcohol. I was, I was probably about 13 years old I was hanging out with an, an older kid His name was Chad and uh, we stole a couple bottles of wine from my parents liquor cabinet and we drank the bottle of wine and we uh, we made screwdrivers and when I when I got home, I remember that I had uh, we had this downhill driveway uh, into the garage, and I remember the garage door wasn't up, so I remember wrecking into the garage. I remember my parents yelling at me. I remember crying and hugging a toilet. I remember promising that I would never do this again. What I also remember is that even though the consequences were bad, that I thought I had found the answer to life's problems that frankly I didn't even know I had before that day. All the and doubt and insecurity in the world just kind of slipped away when I drank and I thought I'd found the answer to life. My parents had different ideas uh, growing up uh, that was not okay in our home, so I found myself in trouble all the time. It's funny, my mom would say, you know, I needed to get different friends, but what she didn't realize is I had become the friend that other people should get a different one for. Um, that's kind of the route my high school took. I think probably the first time that a light bulb came on. I'd been on a bender, came home to steal money. Uh, that was my job. <laughs> I snuck into the house and got caught with my hand in the cookie jar and rather than coming out up with some lie like I normally would, I remember just saying, I have a problem with drugs and drinking and I I can't stop and I don't know what to do. And uh, And so my father actually knew instantly what he wanted to do so told me that a van was on its way to my house uh, to come pick me up and take me away to my first treatment center. So I was 17 years old at that time. I felt helpless um, and lost and clueless as to how to how I can make it through life because I couldn't imagine life going on as I was living it but I certainly couldn't imagine any other way either at that point. I also looked at my family and realized didn't see how more could happen after after what I'd done. I won't say that treatment did a lot of good things or life change happened there, but what did happen was I met a counselor named Rob. When Rob would share what it was like for him to want to drink or get high, uh, I knew that Rob was just like me. Uh, and I had grown up up to that point thinking I was the only one that felt that way. And so a seed was planted that if Rob could do it, then maybe there was hope for I had an aunt who lived in Chicago named Fran, and Fran had recently gotten sober herself and offered that if I wanted to change my life, she offered to let me move out with her to give me a new chance and a new start. So I moved out to Chicago. Fran introduced me to a few other people who were closer to my age and also uh, had gotten sober and recovering. I began to have just a, i guess you'd call it a glimmer of hope, You know, hope that if it was possible for these people maybe it could be possible for me to. The reality was I was still a long way away, uh, many years away, from getting off this downward destructive sorry cycle. Just thinking, I was a, I've heard
0: that a few times now, but 13-year-old having his first alcohol and then being trapped in the cycle, it begins to impact his life. One of the most difficult things, and it sounds, and that's why I said we don't give you all three steps at once, because it sounds like such a simple thing to recognize our regrets, but actually, that was that's often the hardest part is to, act, is to make that first step. Um, I had um, we had the opportunity of counselling. I've mentioned this guy to you before um, that had been involved in a serious sin, and, and uh, we spent and myself and another pastor spent some time with him. He had. He had actually for a number of years had held his sin under the water like this, this area of regret. And, and I know it was, it was eating him alive. And, but he, had, he actually said to us that he had, he had almost formed a schizophrenic kind of personality. There was one part of his life, there was one thing. And then there was another part of his life, the part that was committing adultery. And they actually it was like they weren't connected together. They were like two separate realities. He'd been burying it for so long that it actually had almost um, diverged like that. And eventually God put the Nathan in front of the circumstances changed that he had to face up to the sin that um, that, uh, he was committing and the regrets that were in his life. And um, he came and confessed. And I had a a guy that had been a pastor for a few more years than me. I think I've been pastoring for about two years at that point. And he helped me through this process. And this guy would confess something. And then the guy that was with me would say, "Um, there's more. Tell us what else. And he'd go, no, there's nothing more. And he goes, you're lying. And he would go, no, there's nothing. Okay, there's one more thing. And that went on for about five hours of just this constant things coming out. And later on he told me, he said, when, when I was with you guys in the room there confessing the sin, he said, I, I actually felt like I had something physically holding my throat like this stopping me from confessing. And the, the devil doesn't want us to recognize our regrets. He wants to keep us quiet, not because he cares about our, us being feeling ashamed or He cares about us being exposed. He doesn't care about us at all. It's because He doesn't want us to be free. And the moment we take that first step where we recognize our regret, we take something that's hidden and we bring it out so it can be completely destroyed. That when you take something that's alive and you bury it, it's going to come up again and cause trouble in your life. It's like sweeping things under the carpet. And if we're going to break that sorry cycle, if we're going to come out of that loop like this just regret and longing to be free, and regret and longing to be free, and the worst case scenario is it just produces more and more regrets in our life. If we're going to come out of it, it starts at this point where I say, I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm actually going to recognize it. And it is difficult because none of us wonder, we, we have the sense like, like, um, like, am I going to be exposed? What are people going to think of me? Like, like even the strongest of us have that um, those thoughts in our minds. You what know, people, what are they what are they how will they treat me after they know this thing? And uh, 1 Peter 5 verse 6, the apostle Peter s- says, writes this down, and I think it's just so powerful. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may He may lift you up in due time. And there is a process. And it's, it's, this is not about public confession or public announcing of what your regrets are. There are three people, or three steps, or th- Yeah, I suppose, three points that you need or three people you need to tell number one is you got to tell yourself you got to get honest with yourself and stop denying it and renaming it and burying it and whatever it is and you got to acknowledge actually this is a genuine regret in my life and it might be um it might be like i said before it might be a sin area maybe you you did something that opened a door to repeated pattern of sin in your life and it's, and it's opening that door that you regret. Or maybe it's, the, like I said earlier on, it's, the, it's the, the regrets of action or inaction or reaction that are not sinful. Maybe it is somebody that has hurt you and you're carrying around that hurts. Maybe a, a husband left you and abandoned you and, you. and it's like you just cannot get free from that regret. It's not... It's not um, not always a confession of your own sin it's a confession of whatever it is that's holding us back we've got to be honest with ourselves this is what happened you've got to you've got to kind of you know, write it down on a piece of paper in a journal you've got to speak it out you've got to admit to yourself that i'm carrying this regret the second thing is we've got to tell god it's not like god doesn't know he sees everything he knows everything he knows every moment we've been through and yet god tells tell us to come and confess our sins to him there is something in our prayer life and in our interaction with God that, act, that makes something um, actualized. And to come to God and say, God, actually, this is what took place in my life, and, and this is a regret that I'm carrying, begins to open it up to His light to shine into it. And lastly, you need to tell somebody else. You've got to find someone that you can trust. Um, when uh, Denise came and shared her testimony a couple of weeks ago, well, it was a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was, and uh, I don't know if you were here when Denise shared a testimony. You, if you weren't, you're going to get to read it in the, the next magazine that comes out anyway. And um, it was incredibly powerful. It's more powerful when she spoke it than even when it's written down. It was really wonderful what she shared with us the other day. And um, what, what Denise really did was she wasn't going to allow the regrets to sit under the water. She was letting them come out. And uh, But she found it in other walking it through with other people. It was other people... And one of our values here is, is inauthentic community, and at times we see it worked out so beautifully, like in that instance, like, like, and I saw that Connect group, it's obviously Jack and Denise's Connect group, and having this epic Christmas dinner or something like that, and, and, um, and uh, it's been worked out beautifully there, but then there's other moments where we see people walking through things alone, and we're going, it's not being worked out. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's one of the reasons why God calls us to do our life in smaller groups like these Connect groups that we trust maybe you can't trust them the first week or even the sixth week but as you build the relationships you come to the place where like i've never told anybody this before but can i share something with you and it begins to come out i had a a, a guy that i knew at school he, I, he was i mean I, I was friendly with him he was in my class at school and um, his name was david he was one of those guys that kind of had everything maybe not looks he had a, had a had a nose like this but everything else he had and um he was, he was a captain of the first team rugby. I mean, he's a brute of a guy. He, was, he played eighth man, but he was fostered in the wings. He was just an exceptional rugby player. He had the lead role in the drama production at the end of the year. He was in the top academic class in the school, and he was the head boy. I mean, talk about the, the, the guy that's most likely to succeed, and you would say, David's the guy. And uh, we went to varsity together. We were both studying accountancy. My, um, David got the bursary I wanted, and by mid-year, his accountancy mark was 20%. He was not really hitting the heights that somebody like him should have been hitting. He was hitting the bottle and other things. He was vastly It was a party for him. He lost his bursary. I don't know if he even finished his degree. Um, I, he may have, he may have that lost track for, with him a little bit after that. He went on to do something else. Um, I saw that he got married. I remember meeting his wife. He had some kids. And then some years later, I met him. At Johannesburg Airport, I was flying somewhere, and he was there with a woman that wasn't his wife. And I, and Allison's face, exactly. Oh, what's going on Yeah, I was like, something's off. And uh, anyway, I got chatting with him a little bit. I heard sometime later that he got divorced. And I, it just felt to me like a guy's life was just spiraling from somebody with all this incredible potential, just um, mistake after mistake after mistake, and it just had begun to unravel. So then, a couple of years ago, while while I was here in Dubai, Lynn and I went back to South Africa over our summer and our normal holidays, and we got the news that he had died. And, uh, and so he's obviously my age. So it was, uh, then it was probably it was about five years ago. So it's probably about thirty-five. And uh <laughs> I'll throw that in there. Uh, probably about forty-five. And um, and he uh, and so um, I really did want to go to the funeral. I wanted to honour him. It didn't matter what I imagine it was a complete mess up of his life but you know so i got to this funeral and the whole of my classmates were there and guys that had been in varsity and work and other things the church was absolutely jammed to the rafters i was sitting outside on the balcony kind of looking in like this and guys were out the door and then what happened next absolutely blew my head off his son stood up and began to speak about a man of god that had brought them um, into a loving relationship with christ that read the word of god with them i was like what am I at the right funeral? You know, what is going on here? And his, his new wife stood up and, and spoke about her love for God and how he was comforting her in the midst of this trial with David being gone, but David was now with the Lord that he loved and the Jesus that he, and he served. And I thought of myself, and I, was, and I was blown away. And the reason why David could go from mistake after mistake after mistake and actually end up at the end of his life with people saying these things about him like King David. At the end of his life, uh, the, the, the New Testament writers write back about him and he says he was a man after God's own heart. How can an adulterer and a deceiver and a murderer be called a man after God's own heart? How can my friend David, who had done all those things wrong, be so, leave such a legacy and be so honored at the end of his life? And I think it's because like King David, somewhere along the line, and I, I don't know the story, but my friend David chose not to hide his regrets anymore. He went to somebody and said, maybe it is a pastor of that church. Maybe it is a friend. And said, I've got to, I've got to deal with these things right now. And one by one, the Spirit of God began to minister in there. So, what the worship team come up. What we're going to do now is we are going to respond. And we're going to break bread together. There is. And uh, so the guys are going to pass that I, I don't want you to get too distracted. There is something incredibly powerful about breaking bread. When Jesus left the sacrament for us, what he was saying to us that um, this that we do is a is a visible expression, something we do in the midst of each other, something that's symbolic of what's taken place inside of us. And in the, the bread and the wine, obviously Jesus himself on the day he was betrayed, spoke about this. And he says that the bread is his body and the wine wine that's in the cup is his blood. And hundreds of years before that, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 said this over, spoke this prophetically about this king that would lay his life down for us. You see, friends, because it's the cross, it's not psychology that's going to set us free. Not even declaring our regrets out. That's, that's an important step. But we've got to put them in the hands of Christ. We've got to receive the power that comes in his forgiveness that comes from the cross. This is what Isaiah wrote. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you don't mind, if you won't, you stand with me, please. and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You're going to ask Him, say, Holy Spirit, can you, can you speak to me about the regrets that, that you need me to deal with right now? Um, when Matt preached last week and he kicked the series off, he said, when he started preparing for this, he was, his immediate thought was, I've got no regrets. And it's easy to think that way. I kind of feel like we're keeping short accounts like this. I remember reading a book called, um, whatever, it's, called, it's a men's book. And um, in, the, in the intro to the book, the guy said, why do we need another men's book? And I thought, that's a good question. i about to read it, and I don't think that's the best way to introduce your book, but it's a good point. But in the book, he began to speak about the fact that every man has a wound. And I, honestly, I have, I'm so grateful to my parents, and to my God, and the life that I lived. I, I don't have many serious regrets. There were things that I would have done that I should have regretted, but God kind of cut me or ambushed me so that I didn't do them. And I thought, well, I'm okay. I don't have wounds But as I went to the book and the Spirit of God actually began to speak to me, I realized I did have a wound. I did have a wound. I was, I, somehow I figured in my thinking that my dad loved me more because I was successful than if I was unsuccessful. And it's such a subtle little thing, isn't it? Because I was, stronger at school than my brother and stronger at sport than my brother. he felt like he gave me more attention. And so I, I started to have this thing within my mind that I needed to be successful in order to keep the love of my father. And instead of being a man that would just take risks and things, I, I would make sure I only did the things that I was able that I knew I would succeed at. And, um, and it was a wound and I needed to deal with it before the Lord. And I don't know what it is the regret that the Lord wants to deal with in your life, but there are every single one of us is something. It may be an area of sin it may be an area of nonsense, maybe something somebody did to you but in a moment we're going, break off here. we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you about that and then afterwards we're going to break bread together we're going to take the bread which is the body of Christ it was given for you it was given for you Matt it was given for every single one of us and then we're going to take the The, the representation here is this blood is like it's symbolically eating of the body and drinking of the blood and I believe there's, there's a release of power into our lives and today as you have in mind that area of regret you eat of these elements there and say God and I'm bringing them to you confessing them to you, I'm bringing it out the open to you and I pray that as I share in this community you're going to come and begin to set me free, that this is the beginning of a process that's going to turn my regret to the finish line our eyes now as we turn our attention away from those that are around us hindered us from moving forward. We want to respond to you now to bring that thing before you. We thank you that it's We thank you for the body of Christ.